we're starting a brand new series today, and it's called The Christ Conflict. And what we are attempting to do is walk through um, the way of Jesus, the way of following Jesus, and acknowledging the conflict that there is to how we are called to follow Jesus and how it feels like we want to or how the world uh, follows itself. Or it's these two paths that are apparently, apparently present. Um, we're going to look at a lot of the Pauline letters, uh, a lot of the letters that Paul wrote to churches that acknowledges this conflict between what it looks like to follow Jesus and then what it looks like to follow the ways of the world, but also look at the fact that Paul is writing to spiritual realities that are physically true as well. We live in a world that is not just one-dimensional, and it's not just we see in 3D. Literally, there are other dimensions, and sometimes we think, that sounds so crazy, but one thing that, that Paul says in Colossians 2.8, and we're kind of using this as an anchor text for this series, is this. It says, see deceptive philosophy. He says, which depends on the human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. It's saying there are these spiritual forces that are at play or that are a reality, and then there's the way of Christ. It immediately paints this picture of two different routes. Throughout this series, we're going to talk about several different topics. But today, it's really important that we acknowledge the spiritual conflict. We, we genuinely believe that there are two opponents, not just according to the word, but through the understanding and the reality of the gospel. There's two spiritual opponents in the world that we live in. It's the spirit of God and it's the spirit of the world. The spirit of God uh, influences people or people who follow Jesus influences those people for his glory and for his good, the spirit of the world influences people for his plan, which is to steal, kill, and destroy. So it, it's, it's wild to think that right now there are two spiritual forces fighting for you. It's the spirit of God saying, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And then there's this other plan that says, hey, I got a plan for you too, and it's to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, if we just saw those two things and I said, What's your choice? <laughs> That's an easy choice, right? Like, okay, I'm, I'm running this route. I'm going to go with that whole life and life more abundantly. But we learn all throughout the scriptures that the spirit of the world, Satan, is, is crafty. It's deceptive. Ephesians 6 says this, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It talks about this, this other dimension, this spiritual dimension. And there's always a tension when we talk about these things. And I'll get into that tension here in just a minute because there's a tension that you almost become overly infatuated with the spiritual dimension because it's intriguing. It's it's, it's hard to grasp. It's like, it's, it's, I want to know more about that. And we can swing so far to the other side of this conversation that we nearly become worthless in the physical realm because we're strictly infatuated with the spiritual realm. And I think that would be an overcompensation or misapplication of the scripture. But then the other application would be that we just don't acknowledge it. 
We don't talk about it. We don't address it because it's too hard to understand or we don't exactly know how to engage or interact with that idea. But what we want to do, not just this week, but throughout this series, is acknowledge the spiritual conflict, which is week one, but then understand the idea that spirits, according to the word of God, and even evil spirits influence every part of our life. Every part of the world that we live in is influenced by spirits. And that's from relationships to philosophy, the way that we think, the way that we understand, the way that we approach life to politics. Everything that we encounter in this life about the conflict that that presents in the world that we live in. C.S. Lewis said, said it like this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. And then the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. I want to bring some clarity or some definition to the words, then we're going to dive completely into this. This word spirit shows us that there's a, there's a dimension or there is a realm rather than the physical one. If we look around right now, you see all the physical realm. That's what you see. You don't see any spiritual realm. It's strictly physical, but just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. The spiritual realm is real. And with that being a reality, we are all physical beings, but we are all also all spiritual beings. Whether knowingly or not, the majority of you in this room would agree with that because you've been around church or you've, you've heard this or a lot of you are followers of Jesus. So the idea or the reality that we are spiritual beings is, okay, I'm all in. But with us all being spiritual beings, we are seeking connection. We are seeking connection to the divine, this spiritually divine, this, this God, this whatever that is. And as spiritual beings, there is a part of us that is completely unfulfilled in the physical world. This spiritual world that we seek to understand or connect to this divine is the source of truth, the source of satisfaction, the source of purpose for our lives. And as spirits, only the divine can answer those questions to life and purpose and understanding that we all deeply seek. If there was one, only one spirit, this would be a very easy conversation because we don't have a choice. There is no conflict, but because according to the word of God, we see that there are many spirits, it paints this picture of a battlefront or a conflict between the spirit of God and the spirit of the world is happening between the spirit of God and the spirit of the world in this. We can, we can reduce this conflict to two questions, and we're going to attempt to answer these two questions on both sides of the spirit of the world and the spirit of God. The two questions we're really asking is, who is God? And then... Once we find that out, who God is, how do we access this God? So if, if we can define who God is, then we need to figure out how to access this divine source of truth, of fulfillment, of life, and of purpose. 
And what we're doing is going to be looking at Paul's letters to accomplish this. We spent a lot of time studying the, the history of the first century church to understand what the conflict was like that Paul was trying to encourage and challenge and grow the church in. And what's crazy is the same things that were happening in the first century church, the same conflicts that were present that Paul was talking about to those early followers of Jesus are the same conflicts. Maybe in a little bit different skin, but it's the exact same conflict. It's the same spirits. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to address those things. The first question, who is God? Who is God? Someone that is subscribed to the spirit of the world would ask or even answer or, or think around that question like this. Who's the higher power? Who is, who is in control? I'm done. <laughs> Guys, we accomplished it. Right on cue. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> who is God? Is there one? Is there a whole bunch of them? Is it like whatever, whatever works for me is what my God is? Uh, is it an energy? <laughs> is it nature? Is it, uh, is it me? These are all questions and actually these are all answers that we're seeing in the world that we live in. We live in a world that is, by definition, extremely pluralistic to where this is what a lot of religion looks like right now and a lot of approaches to answering the question, who is God? Have any of you not known what's for dinner one night and you go to your pantry and you look at all the things that you have and say, I'm gonna create something. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and we throw it all in the pot and say, let's, find out what we are about to consume. In a lot of ways, the world that we live in when it comes to religion is combining and taking pieces of different religions, different approaches to God. It's like, it's like a sliver of Christianity, a sliver of mysticism, a sliver of uh, Muslim, a sliver of new age, a sliver of atheistic. I'm gonna combine all these things and that becomes the God that I want to and believe I should serve. And it's celebrated. It's almost promoted that if we don't do that, that we're closed-minded. That, oh, you're not accepting of other people. This is what the modern world looks like. People are consuming a, a remarkable amount of religious content from all different parts of the world and all different approaches to religion and gods. And what they're doing is they're saying, I'll take all of that in and we'll just see what that produces in my life. And in a lot of ways, what's happened is in this pluralistic society that we live in, we've become polytheists. 
which means that there is a bunch of, and it's happening through content that are, are major producers in, the, producers in the religious world right now. There is a, a massive new age movement in religion taking place right now. And it's happening through huge names. It's the Deepak Chopras. It's the, it's the Oprahs. It's the Richard Rohrs that are taking elements of Christianity and combining it with other things. And the danger in this is we are producing a new religion and a new approach to God. And in the same way Paul was addressing the early church, he's addressing the current church today through his word. Those names that I just listed proclaim the divine to be either energies or combinations of different godheads and those types of things. But then you've got another movement taking place. It's called, it's called New Atheists. And essentially what it says is there, is there is no gods. And many people have heard of these names from the Richard Dawkins, uh, Sam Harris. I mean, these are, these are bestsellers. But what's taking place is it's saying God doesn't exist. And by the declarative statement that God doesn't exist, it's proclaiming that you are your own God, idols and the object of affection. An atheist's claim to know God makes an idol out of oneself. But this is the world that we live in. This is why we need the ability that can only come from the Holy Spirit to discern. To discern right from wrong, to discern truth, to discern what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. Sometimes when something comes up in front of you, the word of the Lord will do something as simple as put up flags and say, hey, don't go any further. And isn't it amazing, though, that when we read the word of God or when we're in moments like this, that the very word of the Lord, although is confrontational, it's still very peaceful. Jesus, we thank you that you're a spirit of peace. God, that you bring healing, that you bring wholeness. And God, I pray that this environment would be one of peace. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. In the same way that there were all kinds of wild things taking place then, we're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that was happening. The truth is this is not a new tactic of the enemy. It's the same spirit. The same thing that's happening to us today is the same thing that was happening in early church in those days. Early church, what was going on there was it was an extremely polytheistic culture. They had a bunch of different gods. They had this Yahweh. They had Zeus. They had all different, and in some of these cities, they had different people from different areas merging together and their community became one that had a lot of different religions intertwined. The same thing was taking place. And this created a ton of blended religions. Blended religions to where Paul 
saw that it was such a big deal that he needed to write a letter of discernment. Anytime we begin to create gods or anytime we begin to say this is who God is, the next logical question that we have to ask is how do we access this God? How do we connect to this God? So people following the spirit of the world ask the question, how do we access this God? Because this God is the higher power. This God is where I get my knowledge, where I get my peace, where I get my wisdom, where I get my fulfillment from. How do I access this God? Today, there are a lot of spiritual practices, a lot of people that are attempting to access their God, this divine, and a lot of access God through. Today, it looks like this. There's a lot of people that are attempting to connect to their spiritual source of truth through things like magic, things like things like psychics, things like card readers, horoscopes. It's becoming increasingly popular to, to attempt to connect with those that are deceased for a source of truth, for a source of wisdom. It's called necromancy, um, charms. Some of these things that almost seem harmless. It's like, am I opening doors that don't need to be opened. Eastern mysticism is becoming a common practice, chants. I'm going to say certain things at a certain volume level to work myself up into some sort of meditative or almost subdued trance-like state in hopes to connect with this spiritual power. Different people ingest different things to access different realms. And all of it is an attempt to, to connect to this truth to connect to this source of life, to get answers to the real questions that we're actually asking. So they're real things that are spiritually inside of us that we need answered, but we're going the wrong route to get there. And then there's more subtle things or appear to be more subtle things, like just superstitious. <laughs> like, like, I gotta do this just the right way, just the right time to actually access this type of thing. Are you okay, bro? Are you okay? Okay. I just wanna make sure, I just wanna make sure you're okay. Okay. In the world that we live in, there's also this attempt to be infatuated with this entertainment type thing. And I can't explain it apart from it. It likes to dabble in what I believe biblically is categorized as satanic entertainment. We throw out anything that isn't connected to the Bible. And I've been through seasons. In the early 90s, there was this huge movement in the church. It was called the purity culture movement. And what it was was this it was almost like, I'm gonna live a completely pure life. I'm only listening to Christian music. I'm only reading the Bible. I'm not gonna read any fiction. I'm like, nothing that's not connected to the Bible, I'm not taking it. And there was a lot of good that came through that, 
But there was a lot of dangerous things that came through that. So my goal in a conversation like this isn't to say only that world is where you can live. Because let's just take music, for instance. Okay, music, there's obviously worship music. And then there's this huge spectrum of just entertainment music, some Christian artists and then some non-Christian artists, that is just entertainment music. But then we can acknowledge that there are some lanes of music that it's like, this, <laughs> this isn't entertaining. This is, this is demonic. This is like completely off. And just being involved and connected to students and having teenagers of my own, I just see that world a lot. And there are some artists, and I'll say them, that are no longer just entertaining. When a guy like Little Nas X makes a video of him descending into Hades and enjoying life with Satan, we're, we've crossed a line. When you've got a girl like Doja Cat dressing up as a demon. We've, we've crossed some lines. You've got others dressing up like Satan and then promoting it as just entertainment. We've crossed some lines. But all of these things that I've just mentioned are a lot of attempts to access this spiritual realm, which is something that God has put inside of us to be connected to this spiritually divine. And we think, oh, this is a new world. Nobody's ever dealt with this type of stuff. And the truth is Paul was writing to people that were in the midst of the exact same type of stuff. Though I don't think Doja Cat was around, the same spirit was. The same spirit was you know what was going on in the first days, in the first century church in attempts to connect to something spiritually? There was a ton of mediums. Like they were the in-between, the spiritual world and the physical world, and they would, they would help people connect to the spiritual realm. A lot of magic was being practiced. Astrology was huge in those days. Um, people would try to to connect or to transcend this attempt, a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. They would do it through ancestry worship. Inside of every home that you went inside, they would have an altar built in the entryway that would have pictures of the deceased, of their family members. And they would offer up worship and prayers and songs to the deceased because of what they've done for their family and what they believe that they were still doing for their family. Uh, they'd pray to angels temple worship. Um, there was this festivals to, rec, uh, to, to Greco and Roman gods. Emperor worship was a huge thing. The person that was in control of the, the world, he was as close to a godhead as possible. And he would demand worship oftentimes. It was so big on accessing the divine as if you followed the festivals that were laid out for citizens of the community, it would take 125 days out of the year to be active in worshiping through the festivals that were required as citizens of those cultures. All in hopes of accessing and appeasing this God. Why? Because it's a reality, the world that we live in. But can I warn you? In the same way back then that Paul was warning the early church, 
Can I warn you that the way that you access the spiritual realm determines which spiritual force you will access? If I go in here, I'm going to access what's on the other side of that door. What's behind door number one? What's behind door number two? That is what the spirit of the world looks like. And Paul is writing a letter of correction saying, we cannot be like that. We have a different God. We have surrendered our lives to what Jesus has done. And he says this, he says, we're going to do it differently. Why? Because we answer the question who God is completely different than everybody else. And then Paul begins to boldly proclaim and, and make definitive stances that became extremely disrupting in the early church. In, in the early world, Christianity began to become a major force that was messing things up in society. Some of us were like, yeah, that's what I want. I want to mess society up. It wasn't like that. The goal was simply to worship God. And because they worshiped God in such a way that they avoided these other festivals and acts of worship, society was beginning to get frustrated with Christians. And Paul was writing this letter, not just to set them straight, but then to encourage them as well. And he's saying, guys, I wanna encourage you in this. This is the true answer to who God is because the Bible answers this question, who God is, so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, here it is, there is one God. In a world that had only heard there is a whole bunch of gods, Paul is writing this letter to the church saying, hey guys, hey y'all, Southern edition. He says, hey y'all, there's one. And he says, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through him we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. He says, not everybody sees this. Not everybody knows this, but I'm letting you know that people who follow the spirit of God believe that there is one true God and that this one true God, he's the creator of all things. He is the one that created it all. And he is the one that has authority over all things. He is the one in control. Even when it seems like everything's all over the place and we question all these things that are going on around us, he is the one that is in control. Satan is the one that creates this illusion that we have a bunch of different choices, but we actually only have two choices, to either submit our life to the spirit of God and follow his way, his instruction, and the access point that he created for us, or to go the way of the world. And the way of the world, the Bible says that wide is the gate that leads to destruction. He says, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. And a world that wants to be incredibly inclusive of anything and everything, the Bible's saying it's really, really narrow. There are not as many options as you think. So it goes all the way back to this idea that were we, were we created for God or was God created for us? Someone who loves themselves more than they should says that 
This life is all about me. When in all honesty, we realize that we were created for such a higher purpose. The higher purpose is this. We were created as people to walk in the presence of God. Remember this spirit that we're trying to connect to as the source of life, as the source of hope, as the source of fulfillment? There was one day in history where all things were synced up, that it was perfect, perfectly fulfilled, completely unified. Everything was good. And like the Garden of Eden. And what's amazing is in the Garden of Eden, although everything was perfect, that one voice that said there's another way to access this divine. And the illusion in that was that the divine can be you. You don't have to go through God and just eat this fruit and your eyes will be opened. The enemy came in to steal, kill, and destroy. And we see early on that humanity was marked by sin. The world that we live in now is broken and it's all the errors and fractures and the destructiveness that we see as a result of sin. Our lives are marked by sin. The devastating part about sin is this. Sin carries a cost. And the cost is separation, a disconnection from God. We were created to be close and connected, but because sin is there and because God is holy, there has been a separation that's occurred. And once separation is present, we cannot bridge the gap back to God in and of ourselves. So we live with this spiritual being inside of us that's desperately trying to connect to this God where we were created to be, but in our own effort or through these other avenues or channels, we can't quite get there. And we always find ourselves dissatisfied and we always find ourselves searching and grasping and reaching for more and trying harder. So we stop doing that and start doing this and then stop doing this and start doing that in hopes to appease this desire inside of us to connect to something bigger, the truth, the source of life. And God loved us so much that instead of us working our entire life trying to connect to this God that we actually can't connect to ourselves, instead of us working our way up to heaven, God descends down to us in the form of his son, Jesus. And he says, you can't do it on your own, but I'm about to do it for you. And in your imperfection, Jesus comes to this earth and he lives a perfect life. He lives for 33 years perfectly, sinless, holy, righteous. What we couldn't do for 12 hours, he does for an entire lifetime. And he gets to the end of this life and he offers up his perfection on the table of sacrifice for our imperfection. And he says, I'll offer up my righteousness in hopes that you surrender your life to this life of perfection and righteousness. And it says that anyone who believes in this, who gives their life for this message, it says that they will be contaminated by sin, but we would be seen as one who is righteous. That's why the words being found in Christ is so big. 
Because if we are not found in Christ and we are found in any other thing, any other thing is not holy. Any other thing is not clean and we cannot be close to what we were created to be close to. In Christ, we are found righteous. And Paul is stepping up to the plate and he's saying there's no other way to be found righteous. There's no other access point. You can't do any other thing other than, and in those days he was referencing the life that Jesus just lived. Some of those people that he's talking to had seen Jesus themselves. So it was easier for them to recognize. He's like, hey, remember that guy, Jesus? Remember how he lived incredibly? He taught, all of us were like, wow, where did he get this authority to teach? Remember in the temple? Remember him doing this, 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 and this? Remember going on the cross and dying? You remember us seeing him again? Yeah, that, that's the way to actually inherit this purpose, truth, fulfillment. And century after century after century, the message of Jesus continues to proclaim itself loud and say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the world is saying there's so many other ways. Paul is saying there is only one way and that's where the spiritual conflict arises. Ephesians 2.8 says this. I think it's Ephesians 2.8. No, it's 18. It says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Colossians 1 summarizes this whole message. And it says this, he, Colossians 1, he, that word, it's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, over everything, he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, spiritual peace. You go look at the word peace. It's not talking about this physical world. In this life, there will be trials. But he says making peace, it talks about peace in this spiritual dimension. That word peace is integrity, is wholeness, is completeness. That you would be found complete, whole, lacking nothing through one way, the blood of his cross. This is the spiritual conflict. And the question is, where do you find yourself at in this? Who is your Lord? What spirit are you subscribed to?